Today we begin something new. I wish I knew that sooner. Wish I knew that sooner. The whole spirit of this uh, sermon series over these next few weeks that lead us to our regather on Sunday, July 26th, the spirit of this is mentoring relationships. Our faith family is blessed to have a few sparkling examples of men and women who work with each other, older men with younger men, older women with younger women who pass down important lessons. Hey, this series, here's what I'm hoping for. Here's what I'm praying for over these next several weeks that wish I knew that sooner, that if you're in your 20s, your 30s, or your 40s, that we can help you. These truths from 1 Timothy can help you avoid some major pitfalls. We can't capture every that that you wish you had known sooner, wish I'd knew that sooner, but some really big important themes of life. We're going to look at leadership. We're going to look at training and purpose. We're going to look at some really good stuff about how to deal with toxic people. And today we're going to look at this really important truth that no one is too far gone. I want to ask you this morning, whether you're alone or with people, to say that out loud. No one is too far gone. Maybe you feel like you've been there before or you're there now or you're afraid of that in the future. I say it often, but everybody's messed up. Everybody has messed up. They are messed up. If you feel pristine and pure and pretty right now, you're one or two decisions away from really messing up. But no one is too far gone. Easy to say, easy to, for a church to say we believe that, but difficult for some of us, for many of us. You know, we live in a culture now, there's kind of a new phenomenon, at least it's been given a new name. It's called a cancel culture. You familiar with this? There's writings about it now, and it's happening to the left and to the right politically. It's hitting a lot of people, and it's the subject of a lot of angst and a lot of debate. There were two big ones in the headlines this week, people losing their jobs because of saying something that was insensitive or offensive, and the social media world says, hey, we're done with you. The council culture, the essence of that is caught you, got you, done with you. Caught you, got you, done with you. That's the council culture. You and I got to be careful not to fall into that. But contrast council culture with God's character. Contrast council culture with God's character. A verse inscribed in my home is Isaiah 43 25 God makes a promise God says I will and unlike us every time God says I will do something guess what he does it God says I I will blot out your transgressions I will remember your sin no more would you contrast the two caught you got you done with you with I will blot out your transgressions and I will remember your sin no more so without any further waiting, let's jump right in today. We're going to look at this letter over the next several weeks, 1 Timothy, a letter penned long ago. We're going to look at these really important themes, again, that I hope will help you avoid some major pitfalls. What I wish I knew sooner. Today, 1 Timothy chapter 1, we'll read verses 12 through 17, and we'll put that on the screen. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. glasses on because I'm old I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service though formerly I was a blasphemer a persecutor an insolent opponent but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief 
And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Verse 17, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes I'll hear this from a well-meaning person in our church. They'll say, Robert, don't talk about sin too much. Don't talk about sin too much. You, you might scare people off. I didn't really know how to receive that at first, but now my response to that, at least internally, is, are you kidding me? Sin is the one thing for sure that we all have in common. If you go through your news feed, you'll see it on the daily. Corruption and greed and racism and bigotry, sexual harassment, murder, lying, deceit. Alvin Plantica, a Notre Dame philosopher, wrote in his book, The Problem of Evil, he says that sin is at the heart of all human misery. It's seen in the face of every battered woman. It's heard in the cry of every neglected child. It's seen in the despair of every addict and the death of every victim of war. Sin is the great equalizer. It's what we all have in common. A few years back, I talked to a woman, Susan and I and a few others here. So we saw a woman, very brilliant woman, at the top of her game, professionally well-regarded in the community. She came to faith in Jesus. She did so in a very thoughtful way, in a well-reasoned way, super intelligent person. And she told me one day, she said, Robert, my husband is difficult, very hard when it comes to the gospel and a very, uh, just a tremendous resistance toward all things God. She said, would you share the gospel with him. One night, a few of us were together, and so I had an opportunity, sort of, you ever have one of those conversations with someone, kind of alone, but you're in a group, and I began to talk with him, and I, knowing her charge, I wanted to please her, impress her, and, and be, a, you know, be a good friend, and so I just began to share the gospel with him, and I thought, I'm going to go back to my roots of how I came to faith, and I began to explain just that God loves him and offers a wonderful plan for his life, that that all of us are sinful, we're separated from God. I began to talk about Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23, and he was at that point just very strident. He interrupted and he said, see, that's what I have a problem with, this whole thing about sin, about God creating us and knowing that everybody would miss the target. He is an outdoorsman and he talked about that would be like God you know, or somebody setting up a, a target and the target is out of range, and but you get frustrated or you blame the shooters because they can't hit the target. They're, they're out of range. He thought that was super problematic for his reason, for his understanding. And so I thought, well, this would be an opportunity for me to talk about Adam and Eve in the garden, to talk about imputation and ancestral sin and to go through a, a really sound theological treatise. See, I got a little bit into that and the wife nearby interrupts and she looks at him. It got pretty personal. It got pretty, and it was became kind of an indictment and she said why are you worried about not being able to meet God's standards because is it okay for you to come home drunk and to yell at your spouse is it okay for you to promise the grandkids you'll be at the ball game and you won't show up is it okay for you to lie about your sales reports 
you don't meet the own standards that you set for yourself. Why be bothered about not meeting God's impossible standards? And I thought, here again, a brilliant woman. There's no Bible verse needed from me at that point or in no theological treatise. She had hit her target, if you will. She got him thinking about all the ways that sin doesn't allow us to flourish as humans. We don't even meet the standards that we set for ourselves. Not many people today want to hear a preacher rail against other people's sins. Do you? But think about, and I want to get you to do what this woman asked her husband to do, to think about the ways that you don't even meet your own standards, the ways that you fall short of your own values, the addictions that grip you, the debt that you become enslaved to, the pornography that you become addicted to, the purchasing that you're trying to satisfy deep wants and needs in your life. Think about in the cancel culture, in the so much adversarial relationships and argumentation going on today. Think about James 1.19. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. How are you doing there? How many of you even this week have regretted not being that? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. You blew it. You were quick to anger and quick to speak and very slow to listen. You see, sin is a problem for all of us. Sin is the great equalizer. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Ever heard that? A gentle answer turns away wrath. When anger is in the room, when their tension mounts, how do you respond? Do you throw a grenade back at the person who said something? Are you able to respond in a gentle way. Jesus taught in Matthew 12, he was right on the money, that what flows from our mouth, it comes from our heart. In our heart, we have a sin problem. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. You can not only look at the headlines, you can look at your own heart. By the way, when you do look at, go through your newsfeed and you see those problems of greed and corruption and racism and bigotry and you see stories of sexual harassment and you learn more about murder and lying and deceit, whatever gets you upset and gets you angry many times at the root of it, at the core of it, can point to sin in your own life. So this morning, wish I knew that sooner. Wish I knew that no one is too far gone. In this letter, Paul, the older and wiser, writes to Timothy, who some scholars believe Timothy could have at this point even been a teenager. He was a church planter. He refers to him as a spiritual child. Now, a much, much younger man who is being used greatly for the kingdom. And here Paul writes to Timothy, and if you saw this, he says that Christ Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to save sinners of whom I am, foremost before that he says this is a trustworthy saying this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance four times Paul uses that in his writing think about that why would he say that first of all a couple reasons if that surprises you certainly Paul did not do some internal study of everybody that's ever lived he didn't know everything in the heart of every man or woman at that time in first century Palestine in the Mediterranean world he didn't it wasn't that kind of statement so what did he mean notice he says in verse 15 of first Timothy 1 that it's a saying did you capture that did you get that it's a saying in other words other people 
are saying this. Other people can say this. Other people should say this. So let me pause for a moment to make sure we can orient ourselves toward healthy living and sound spiritual life. When we hear someone say, I'm the foremost of sinners, that's a saying that we probably ought to say as we nod our heads, that is true of me as well. So it is a saying, okay? In other words, again, sin, the great equalizer, it affects us. As Paul is saying, I'm not only not out of it, I'm, I'm the foremost. I think he had an acute sense of where he had fallen short. Now, when I first tackled this letter, first began to study, I had the opportunity many, many years ago at the International School of Theology in a seminary class with Dr. J.P. Moreland, had an opportunity to write a paper on this very, this very verse. Now, that's a long time ago, so I had to jog my memory for some of this, but I do remember writing the paper. Now, math and science is not my thing. I'm not good at biology or chemistry or any of that, but writing a paper is kind of my jam. And I remember writing this paper in 1 Timothy 1, and I, when I submitted it, the professor returned my paper, and he wrote on the top, he requested that I rewrite the paper. It didn't have an A, which I was expecting, not a B, which, you know, that would be a consolation prize, not a C, D, or F, no grade, just rewrite the paper in red ink. Well, I waited to talk to him that day. I was a 23-year-old young man, and he circled 1 Timothy 1.15. He circled one word in that passage. Any guesses what it might be? If you have your Bible open, I'll give you a second. Look down at 1 Timothy 1.15. What letter, what word, rather, might he have circled? A very small word, the word am. A-M, am. He circled it, and I waited a little bit for some sort of explanation he had moved on to another student at that point. And suddenly it occurred to me that the present tense of that verse changes everything. See, Paul didn't say, I was the foremost of sinners. Paul said, I am the foremost. I had written my whole paper, you see, Paul being so terrible because of all that he had done. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was insolent or he was a murderer. He went after the church. He sought, are you with me? He sought to destroy the church. So because of his past, he can say, I am the worst of sinners. But he said, I am the worst. I am the foremost. He had it right there in his present life. How he had fallen short. It's easy when it comes to sin I know you're guilty of this. It's just inside of us as humans, all of us, we compare ourselves. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as bad as what I read as I scroll through my newsfeed. I'm not as bad as them. I'm not that racist. I'm not that bigoted. I've never done that. I fall short here. My life, family life, and sexuality, and money, I'm not all that healthy, but I'm not as bad as some people. We compare, and comparison it leads uh, to some really bad things. One thing it leads to is conceit. We tend to think that we're better than other people. In another way, it could lead to defeat. We compare and we see how bad we are. And whether it's conceit or defeat, neither one honor God. In fact, Scripture tells us that God resists the proud. And he doesn't want us to walk. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul would say to the church in Corinth, hey, because the victory that we have in Jesus, we can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil, our labor, it is not in vain. We're not called 
to live in conceit, we're better than other people, but we're also not called to live in defeat because we have victory in Christ. Here is a saying. It's a saying that you and I probably ought to say ourselves, hey, when it comes to sin, I got a bunch of it. And I need Christ. I need him to do this refining work. This is what I love about verse 16. What does Paul say there in verse 16? He talks about that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Aren't you glad? He came into the world to save sinners, to show us mercy. And then Paul gets personal with it. Paul says that his mercy, that because of I've received the mercy, because I've received Christ, remember this blasphemer would see a bright light from heaven. And he would say, I've received this mercy, and now my life, verse 16, is on display. It's on display. His perfect patience is on display in my life. I'm standing in our church building. I can't wait for you guys to come back to it. The worship team, our production folks, they know we're standing in a beautiful place, but there's a lot of mess around us, and we got 30 days to get all these improvements ready for you guys to come back. It's a mess right now because this place is in progress. You know, you're a mess right now, and I'm a mess right now because we are in progress. And aren't you glad that Christ came into this world not to start a religion, not to divide people, not to condemn people? Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And as we receive him and walk with him and begin to experience him, listen, it's not a story of I was really, really bad, I saw a bright light, and now I'm really, really good. That's not the story. That's not the story for anybody I know, and it's not the story for the older man, Paul, or the younger man, Timothy. But look, your life and my life, our lives can be on display, not our lives themselves, but God's perfect patience in our lives. Psalm 51 in verse 13 says this, it's a prayer, and it says, Lord, I want to teach transgressors your way. I want to turn sinners away from their sin. Now, I first read that, Psalm 51, 13, out of context, you would think, that guy's kind of conceited. Who wrote that, you know, teaching transgressors and telling sinners to turn away and turn to the Lord? But who wrote that? A lot of you know David wrote that. And some more of you know that David wrote that right after some deep sin in his life. That in many ways, in today's cancel culture, gotcha, gotcha, I'm done with you. But God says, I will blot out your transgressions. I will remember your sin no more. And David, in the pit of his deep sin, turning, beginning to repent, says, Lord, do this in me so that your perfect patience in my life can be on display so that I can be an example. That's 1 Timothy 1.16. And David prayed it before him. Lord, I'll teach transgressors your way. I'll help sinners turn away from themselves to you. Look, you can't change your past, but Christ can change your future. I want to say it again. You cannot change the past, but Christ can change your future. Consider the character of God that goes, that's, that's opposite of the cancel culture of our day. The character of God flows from who he is. It flows from what Paul said to Timothy in verse 17, that he's the immortal God, he's invisible, he's the only God, he's the king who deserves glory and honor forever and ever. 
Diane Disney in her autobiography that I read a few years back, she talks about going to class to kindergarten very first time in school when she was only five years old, but a very vivid memory for her. The teacher called her name, Diane Disney, and she said there was sort of a clamor among her fellow students. Disney, they heard. The teacher noticed the clamor, of course, and she said, what's your father's name? And little Diane said, Walter. And the class, these little kids, went nuts. Her, she went home and she talked to her father. Sitting in a chair, she remembers this well. She said, and she writes about this in her autobiography, she said, Dad, you never told me who you were, who you are. Walt Disney, everybody knows, right? Walt Disney, at the time, it was Disneyland. Not Disney World, but Disneyland, a big deal. Mickey Mouse, he owned it all. He owned an empire. You never told me who you were. And she said, in her little body and soul, five years old, almost six, she writes about this and says that she walked around, she paused, and she was stunned about who her father was. I think walking with Jesus can be that way. This king who is invisible and immortal, who is all-wise, who's the only God, look, when we are discouraged, how can that affect you? When you're discouraged, when you're anxious, when you're stressed, pause and be stunned by who your father is. I try to meditate on that and let it get deep into me, far beyond a job that I have as a church and being a preacher or a pastor is experiencing the gospel. I have a father who's way bigger than I ever knew. And that can have a great impact on my life. You see, in this series, Wish I Knew That Sooner, our first lesson today, no one is too far gone. No one is too far gone because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I want to join Paul in saying that. I want to be more sensitive and more aware of my sin. I want to spend less time pointing and judging other people and doing the refining work that God wants to do in my life. And here's what the lesson is not about today. The lesson, you miss the gospel if you hear this. You miss the gospel if you think it's, well, I can live however I want to because God's job is to forgive. Isaiah 66 says this, that God esteems the one. God esteems the one who is teachable, who is humble, who trembles at his word. The one who, one version says, the one who's humble and contrite and trembles at the word. In other words, just as David prayed, he wasn't saying, hey God, your job is to forgive me. I did a really bad thing, this whole murder, adultery thing, this cover up the crime, all that. I did a really bad thing, but you know, oh well, it's your job to forgive, so I'll get back to doing that. Not at all. Not at all. In other words, I want to be humble and contrite, and I want to experience your mercy so that I can teach other transgressors to turn away from their sin and to turn from you. Alvin Plantica, the philosopher of Notre Dame and the problem of evil, he's so right that at the heart of all human misery is sin. And we see it in the headlines, and we see it in our own hearts. I want to close by saying this, that You can tell the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. Again, you can tell the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for. Here's a picture of a famous athlete, one of the most famous, if not the most famous, that's ever lived. This summer, many of us watched a 10-part documentary on his life. This is Michael Jordan. And what I learned 
recently was that Michael Jordan, before he ever played a game in the NBA, was offered by Nike a contract for five years worth 500000 a year for selling shoes? Are you kidding me? Was it worth it? Well, the next year when Nike debuted the Air One sneakers, they sold over $100 million. Another picture is one of, if not the most expensive, a little bit of debate here, but one of, if not the most expensive cars in the world. This is a certain type of Lamborghini. You see it on the screen. And somebody paid $4.5 million for this car. It goes up to a speed of 262 miles an hour. Very impressive how it gets from zero to 60. Someone paid $4.5 million for this Lamborghini. Was it worth it? I don't know. Here's a photo, a Da Vinci photo. Salvador Mundi, a Saudi prince, paid, ready for this, $450 million for this um, depiction, not an accurate depiction of Jesus, but this particular depiction of Jesus. Wikipedia and Google can tell you that it might not have been worth it to pay that kind of money for this because it didn't turn out to be all that they thought it was. But The value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for. 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Peter 1 tell us that you are bought with a price. So this morning, I want to talk to you in closing as we come to the table. I want to talk to you to say, either reminding you or instructing you that you were bought with a price, that your value so much in God's eyes that he sent Christ Jesus, his son, to save a foremost chief sinner like you and like me. What I wish I knew, I wish I knew that sooner. Hey, this morning, no one is too far gone. And if you're wallowing in great shame and guilt, I want to say to you today, no one is too far gone including you. Our team's going to come back up and they're going to lead us as we begin to close. They're going to lead us in a worship song. And then in the middle of that, you're going to see me again. I want to prepare you now if you have elements of something representing bread, a cracker, a piece of bread, something along those lines, and then juice or wine in a cup to represent the blood of Christ shed for you. And in this, we will in just a moment as a faith family worship together by taking by taking communion. Pause in this moment and pray it back to God. God, today I have heard that no one is too far gone. It's not just the words of a preacher, man, but it's the words from your word. And as messed up and beat up and knocked down as you might feel today, Would you elevate your thinking to conceive of this idea that your life could be an example, that you could be on display, your future, you can't change your past, but Christ can change your future. Who you were yesterday doesn't have to limit who you can become today. His perfect patience could be on display in your life. As somebody once said, the mess of you could become the message that he has for the world. Let's sing as you gather your elements. Hopefully you've already got them nearby. You can have a minute or two to gather them. And I'll come back and lead us in this 
this very thing that Jesus said so long ago, do this in remembrance of me.